friends, and welcome to your long-awaited, I'm sure, midweek edition of the Kings of Anglia Ipswich Town podcast. It's the international break. Boo! But that means it's mailbag time. Yeah! And as you can already tell, that's right, Daddy's home. Mark Heath back in the host chair after a week away in the peaks last week. And with me, two men bonded by love of football, booze, and the ladies. It's Stuart Watson, Alex Jones. Stewie, how are you? I'm good. Please tell me that's what you say when you walk through your door. Um, if you if you had to leave your house to work, <laughs> uh, when you walk in through the door of an evening, is that is that how you greet your wife? What daddy's, daddy's home? home? Uh, probably not. No, no. I want to. I want to get laughed at and kicked out. But <laughs> hey, different rules on the pod, isn't it? AJ, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. That was quite an entrance. Yeah, it's it's different to Ross's. I'm starting to like get the dynamic of Ross's that might take a few attempts and a bit of careful brainstorming and then yours, which are, uh, what word could go with? Explosive. Brilliant. Yeah, your, your favourite one, sexy. It's a good yeah, one. Absolutely. Things like that. So, bombastic. Uh, bombastic. Oh, yeah. Definitely yeah, bombastic. D- different vibes. Different Loquacious. Vibes. I'll take that as well. But truth be told, friends, I'm a bit of a low ebb today. Bake Off last night. One I wanted to win. Left. No spoilers. But uh, yeah, pretty gutted about it. Turns out that even though it's obviously quintessentially English and soft and gentle, the Bake Off can be quite a cruel mistress at times. So I've got to pick myself up. And I'm going to do that now, Stewie, because I can see you're a bit bemused by what I just said, by talking about football. You, my friend, last week, we dropped a special podcast with the bearded one, Ipswich Town CEO, Mark Ashton. Very good listen. Very nice of town to let us record in their town TV studio. Bit of a shame on that note, there was no mic, by the way. I'm assuming in the studio that there would have been a mic, but maybe next time we'll get a mic. So there's a bit of an echo on it. But it was good, it was good content, Stu. The people have heard it now, they've watched it probably. I want your observations. What did you make of it? It's the first yeah. time we sat down with Mark for a while. Yeah, apologies for the audio quality. That's um that's on me. I should have been a bit more prepared with uh, clip mics and things like that. Lesson learned, we'll sort that next time. Um I enjoyed doing it. Yeah, it's been been a little while since um, we formally sat down with Mark. Um, I addressed the elephant in the room off air in terms of uh, Andy Warren now being on on the other side, the man who gre- greeted me when I arrived uh, rather than joined me for the interview. Yeah. Um, so it was a little bit different, flying solo and speaking to Mark. But um, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. We tried to uh, cover a, a wide range of topics. It felt like we're in a bit of a sort of a, a mid zone, a nether zone in terms of sort of you questioning. You know, we're, the January transfer window is close but not imminent. Um, Ipswich have made a really good start, but it's it's still in that sort of early days bracket when you're when you're asking questions about planning for Premier League and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I was I was fully prepared for a few sort of flat bats and uh, diplomatic answers, and and there was a little bit of that. But um, I think I think Mark gave uh, gave a few little interesting nuggets along the way. Yeah, was there anything that you kind of thought main takeaway style that you were interested by by what you said? Well, judging by uh, the amount of interaction and views of the various bits that we've put out, it's the stuff around Portman Road that people yeah. are most interested in. Um, this uh, described as a, as a master plan to develop Portman Road, the stadium. Um, 
asked Mark if if there was no limit right now. How many how many people do you think? How many tickets do you think you could sell? There's obviously a big debate on online at the moment about um, priority to get tickets for the derby, and a lot of people mm. sort of disappointed that they're they're missing out on tickets and stuff like that. So the answer to that was. 35 40,000 no problem we could you know a successful Ipswich town could fill that stadium and and they've got this master plan to uh develop the stadium we've seen it change a lot aesthetically um since the ownership came in um a couple of years ago in terms of you know digital advertising new uh big screens all all the stuff around the stadium but now they're starting to think about you know how they can how they can expand what they can change we know that there's the the land that's been purchased where staples was on cobold stand is the next big piece to sort of uh, redevelop that um so there it's a long term plan and they they're very aware that a if you start developing things too soon while things are going well you don't really want to be turning more people away while well, you've got bits of the ground closed and being developed and B, I think they're very conscious as well that the last two times in the club's history that the Portman Road has been developed, it's led to some significant mm. financial problems. It was the reason why the great side of, of the uh, late 70s, early 80s ended up breaking up. Uh, and also the reason why the club ultimately, or one of the reasons why the club ultimately went into administration in the early noughties as well. So they're switched on, they're conscious of all of that, but... Um, these are ambitious people, and they, they've got to they've got to be thinking about these things now. Uh, and it's it's exciting to hear. Hmm. I thought it was great. I'll tell you what I mainly took away from it in a minute. But first, I'm going to ask AJ. Now, this is awkward potentially because I didn't check that he's actually listened to it before we started rolling. So this could be really awkward if he goes not listen to it, mate. Not on it. Not interested. Um, have you listened to it, AJ? What did you make of it? I have. Um, we sat down in the car. I think on the way back from. Birmingham off the top of my head and we had a little chat about some of the points that could be uh, brought up in this and I think that we both kind of had an understanding of how the interview would pan out and I thought it pretty much followed that really really well um, standout bit for me I think the interesting one was the Ed Sheeran and uh, Fabio Wardley stuff because it's not really what you'd expect in terms of obviously both being you know local boys but if you had either of those performing at Portman Road you're looking at a huge deal you're looking at a lot of money coming in um you're looking at a lot of a obviously local attraction but also that then spans to a national and international level and that's the the point that town wants to get to as a football club you're kind of spreading um everything about the football club in a way even though it might not be that they're directly involved and that that was a really exciting bit for me, I'd say. Mm. On that note, I, 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 I've been told by my mother, who always texts me whenever Fabio Wardley appears anywhere, he's been on the, the BBC Breakfast national th- uh, programme this morning talking about potentially being a world champion and also predicting that Ipswich Town to go really in the Premier League next season. So big fab there, pushing the narrative. No doubt he's probably wearing some town-branded clothing as well. Um, excellent tie-up. My two takeaways, Stu, first of all, <clears throat> was... Ashton has a lot of stock phrases, doesn't he? And one of them that he, he used to pull out quite a lot, certainly last season, was building this aeroplane in flight. That aeroplane has now become a rocket ship, which I quite enjoyed. We're now building a rocket ship in flight. 
which I would imagine is probably a bit more challenging than an aeroplane. And the other thing was, it was just like a throwaway comment. I think it was around, you talking around Portman Road and the facilities and, and the training ground and stuff. And he mentioned that he'd been at Brighton, which I thought was interesting, given we've talked on here quite a lot about Brighton being potentially the kind of gold standard club, which may be the sort of club which lures McKenna away. And they are kind of the gold standard in terms of a smaller club not a behemoth like a Man United, all those kind of big boys, but that have really grown and built and really established themselves in the, in the Premier League. So for me, I just thought, oh, that's interesting. That piqued my interest that Ashton is, has been at Brighton. Is that not something that interested you as well? Yeah, I think there's a, a good relationship there between those two clubs from what I gather. And I think you're right. They're probably on and off the pitch. Um, a, a club that sort of Ipswich are, are looking at and, and looking to take a few things, not not necessarily trying to copycat everything. You put your own mm. slant on things, but um, yeah, the the journey that Brighton have been on, um, you know, everything they've done with their stadium and training facilities and style of play and uh, the way they've established themselves in in the Premier League. Why, why wouldn't you try and sort of take, learn a few lessons from them? So um, yeah, from what I gather, sort of Kieran McKenna references. Um, what Deserby does quite a lot there as well. Mm. So hence why we've, whenever this sort of chat comes up about where the sweet spot might be for turning Kieran McKenna's head, they're, they're always the club that sort of comes in into my mind. Um, obviously, that was that was part of the chat with with Mark Ashton as well about sort of Kieran McKenna and, and his future. Yeah, interesting stuff. What do you make of the Ashton's kind of predictions in terms of potential crowd at Portman Road, Stewie? Because off the back of that, I was looking at attendances across the country. And if you get to that 40,000 mark there, you're looking at Sunderland, Chelsea, Aston Villa, that kind of level. That seems attainable, doesn't it? Yeah, it's rarefied air, as you say. There's not mm. not many that, that have that size stadium and can fill it regularly. Um, I've always got that little nagging voice in the back of my mind. Maybe I'm a bit of a natural pessimist slash cynic uh, and, you know, thinking referring back to what I said earlier about how it's got the club in trouble before. Yes, things are great at the moment, but football goes in cycles and then mm. you could easily be end up with, with left with a with a big old stadium. And, and just remember, only a few years ago, we were getting regularly crowds down to about 13,000, not that long ago. So there is that in mind, but Mark Ashton has delivered on everything he said so far and the owners have delivered. And and very early on, he said in an interview, well, I came in here and I said, we can regularly get crowds of 25,000 and we can sell, mm. I can't remember the number he put on season tickets, but I said, we can sell 18,000 season tickets. And he said, everyone in that room within the club looked at me like I had three heads and thought I was, and I'd have probably been among those people that would have gone, all right, getting a bit carried away here, but you know, let's walk before we can run. But here we are. So you have to aim high um, in order to bang your head on the ceiling, and that's that's what this club are doing. So um, yeah, why not? I mean, it's not like they're suddenly saying they're going to double the capacity or anything like that. It's, I think they'll try and do it sensibly. I think it will be well thought out. Um, we just have to put our trust in in the people that are running this club at the moment, because they've not not put too many uh, steps mm. wrong so far. I believe one of the other things that Ashton said was that they could average a, a home crowd of 28,000, which they are above at the moment. Just, again, as you may be able to tell, uh, dear listeners and watchers, that I've been doing a little bit around 
attendances. And Town's current average attendance is about 28.5, which is two and a half up on last season. So very much. Uh, and that would, right that would have felt unattainable only what oh, 18 months, two, two years ago, you'd, you'd yeah. have been sort of almost laughed at if you'd have painted this scenario here now. So who's who's to say in another two years' time um, what, what could be happening? And it's it's prudent that the club kind of plans for that, starts thinking ahead now. Mm, exciting times. One of the other things Ashton said was that tenacity was their superpower. Um, AJ, what do you reckon your superpower is? The international breaks. Um... Yes, that was exactly what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> were you, were you hoping straight, that... Yeah. Your pure straight love for football, which means that yesterday you put on your international correspondence hat and spent all of yesterday watching obscure games of international football. Yeah. Three international games yesterday um, with the potential for, for town to have interest in all three. They only had interest in two as it happened. But I want to review that now. Take us through it. Yeah, what did you do on your Tuesday? I sat and watched three very, very strange games of football. Let me add as well that with them, um, yes, too, I did watch all of them. If that's what you the mean. whole of Australia and neither of the, the players came on. I'll, I'll get on to that in okay. a minute. I should also stress that with um, the Australia game last week against Bangladesh, that kicked off at nine. So I just remember getting up, making myself a coffee, and then just sitting in bed and watching um, Australia stick seven past Bangladesh. Just You're getting like, paid for it though, AJ. It's I mean, fantastic. Talk about this living is, the dream. I know. Yeah. So yesterday, I I tackled three whole football games. I found a slightly dodgy Twitter stream for the Philippines against Indonesia, which I shared in our group chat uh, with Elkan Baggett starting in that one. Uh, my God, that was some terrible football. Um, <laughs> my main takeaway from that, as I said as well, is that they had the stadium announcer who would do. Um, a load of, it was a very strange, everything was all in English. And, uh, when they did the added time, he'd go six minutes at a time like that, um, which was really bizarre. And then he did this little spiel at the end about how important the fans are as like the Indonesia players are cramped up on the floor, almost in tears. Um, so that was the first one. Good for Indonesia and Elkan Baggett to kind of bounce back from actually thrashing that they took in Iraq uh, in the first World Cup game, and then we had the Australia one. I did have the entirety of the Australia game on. Um, for some reason, these get streamed on YouTube for free by uh, the Australian FA. Nice. I can't lie, I did have it on in the background, just kind of waiting for them to come on. I looked up from my screen on about 80 minutes. And I was like, oh, it's not going to happen, is it? Um, so that was a little bit embarrassing. That was also a terrible game of football. Um, I think some fans are a little bit frustrated that uh, Australia couldn't stick a a few more in, I mean, Palestine, given everything that's going on, probably should have got a draw from that. And then the big one, Wales in the evening, where they knew that they had to win and hope that uh, Armenia got a result against Croatia to qualify automatically for the Euros. Um, Nathan Broadhead started for this one. He doesn't start too many for Wales. Came very close in kind of the fifth minute or so. Wales then went ahead. Nico Williams, really nice finish. Um, and then Croatia went ahead against Armenia and everything just uh you could feel energy just went out of them. Turkey equalized, finished one one and Croatia won anyway. So uh Wales heading for a Euro playoff to, to try and get through. They'll find out who they're playing tomorrow. It gets done in a draw. So they'll either play Ukraine, Finland or Iceland off the top of my head. And then the winner of that plays Poland or Estonia. So uh Nathan Broad possibly Wes Burns 
keep an arm up. When will those playoffs be, Alex? Um, so they're going to be in the March international break. So the first leg of those, they've literally just done over um, one game in the semi and one game in the final. And there's going to be a draw to dictate who's home and who's away. Um, so March international break, first game's March 21st, and then the final's March 26th. So that's when they'll find out whether they can make it through from there. But it's not going to be anything like a a mid-season thing where you look at, for example, Australia and, and Indonesia, who are going to be playing probably with uh, all the town lads involved throughout January and February. How did the boys do, those that played? You said the games weren't of the highest quality, but how did Elkin and, and Nathan do? Um, with Elkin, he was in a slightly interesting position where he was on the right, often kind of drifting onto the right wing back when Indonesia pretty much just decided quite early on. Let's just play on the counter for the entire 90 minutes. Um, he got a little bit feisty. There was quite a few scraps going on in there and you could see him getting himself involved. I don't think he picked up a booking, but he was um, in and amongst it all. Nathan Broadhead's really, really good uh, in this Wales system. I think he kind of plays... He often plays up front and this one he played left of a front three with Johnson and Harry Wilson. Really impressive. Only got an hour because they ended up bringing on... Uh, Brooks Bournemouth, but I think a lot of people are saying, hang on, this is someone who we should be playing regularly, especially with a bit of pressure on Wales, a bit of pressure on Rob Page, which I get, but also if you look at it, they've got an unbeaten run that spans back all the way to June, so I, I don't think they're a terrible side at all. Good stuff, here's a, Alex. Here's a question. What standard? What was, in, what was the Indonesia game? Who did they play? They played the Philippines. The Philippines. Um, what level of football would that translate to club-wise in England? I asked you if uh, if towns on the 21s could beat Indonesia, didn't I? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That probably they could. I Well, I'd say that depends what team Baggett's on. Yeah, it's, it's difficult with Indonesia as well because you look through it and it's a lot of domestic players and then you just have um, some of them like they've got Sandy Walsh who plays in the top flight as a real regular in Belgium, for example, a pretty decent team in Mechelen. Me I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, so I always feel that the Asian Cup ones are quite interesting where you have a lot of domestic players and then these odd kind of uh, ones are sprinkled in having played, you know, in, in quite big leagues within Europe. So I think you get real kind of mix and match of different things. Ultimately, it already looks like there's a bit of a gap where you look at Iraq, who've been really, really good in this group and, and they look to be far better than the rest. So Iraq probably at a higher level if you put those two teams in in terms of quality, in terms of Indonesia and the Philippines, maybe um, a pretty poor League Two game in terms of the quality. Um, I've seen Cambridge play a few games <laughs> a little bit like that. It's just one of them where everything feels very frenetic and chaotic, but when you actually step back and look at it, it's also just so kind of lifeless in a way. It was really, really strange game. Um, I don't think it was helped by a very blurry stream and some slightly strange English commentary that was done over the top of it. But so, I quite enjoy these debates around international breaks where people uh, convince themselves that they, they would get into San Marino's starting eleven, for example, who, who get regularly thrashed, of course. But mm. I, I guarantee if you put an average Joe like any of ourselves into a San Marino training session where you'd be well, well, well out of your depth. These are still 
these are still sort of. I mean, they they scored and nearly got a result against Denmark recently. I think people are uh, kidding themselves if they think did, they would get um, into that team. Did we see the France result from the other day? For the life of me, I now cannot remember who they um, played in. Uh, I think it was Euro qualifying still, but they ended up breaking the record and stuck fourteen past. Can't remember off the top of my head now. I'm going to try I think and get Gibraltar, it. Gibraltar, wasn't it? Um, I think yeah. I think you're right. It was uh, Gibraltar, which is weird because they then played Greece and drew two all. But yeah, they took on Gibraltar, I believe, in Paris, and that was um, a San Marino esque result there. So I don't know. Maybe if you can't get into the San Marino team, you stand a good chance getting into the Gibraltar <laughs> team. I think I saw something which was like, if you're eligible to represent Gibraltar you've got like a one in 53 chance of being called up to the national team which I think is quite impressive it almost feels like uh jury duty or something like that <laughs> <laughs> the other one is if, sorry if you've played okay. if you played up front for Man City every minute of every game for the whole season <laughs> would you score a goal um Depend. Do I get am I on penalties? No, you that's wouldn't. probably your best chance. A pen, I would. If say. I'm on penalties, I'd say I'd stand a chance. Other than that, absolutely no way. I think I'd be lucky e- if I had a shot. Even then, with a pen, the pressure in front of yeah. a, a global audience against a world class goalkeeper. Yeah. Mm. Mm, yeah, but I mean, at that point, I'd just be like, oh, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. I've, I've just been put in as like a competition winner in this Man City team. Um, I, yeah. I'd just go full Julian Dix style penalty. That would be just just blast it. You know, back yeah, in the I... days, we had this we had this chat around cliches around football, and my nan could have scored that, etc. And we said, oh, that yeah. people should be able to test that. So if someone utters that phrase, <laughs> they then have to you have to bring on the nan. I quite like this idea that if you say I could get to the San Marino side, you are instantly dropped into a game and see how long yeah. you last. And the Man City thing, no chance, mate. Not not Alex. Not just could. Alex, any anyone, any average Joe playing up front for Man City. No, this wasn't this can, wasn't leveled at Alex, Alex individually. Yeah, yeah. I just meant us in general. This was a general chat. You wouldn't last man, five man minutes. The, the speed, the pace of it, the athleticism, it would just you'd just be completely lost. You'd, you'd probably pull a muscle within So you don't think the, the penalty situation either? Well, yeah. clearly that's gonna be your best chance, isn't it? Okay. But as I think as Stu says, if you're taking a penalty in a Premier League stadium against a world class goalkeeper with millions of people watching you. There's that saying, isn't there, which is true. The more, the more aware you are of the importance of what you're mm. doing is, the harder it is to do. So whereas if you're taking a penalty against your five-year-old son, obviously you're going to hammer it home. But against in that scenario, no chance. I'd give you less than a, a 5% chance of scoring. Not you again, not you individually, Alex. <laughs> this just feels like it's been a massive attack on me. <laughs> on my the, footballing ability. The, gen- <laughs> the general public, um, right. I would say. But yeah, good stuff. I liked it. And that has kind of the theme of mailbag. It has kind of the feel of mailbag around it, that kind of conversation. So shall we move swiftly on to the mailbag now? There's no Ross this week. He's uh, he's having a day off today. God knows what he's getting up to. Definitely not taking a driving test, uh, AJ. We established yesterday. I think that's mm. coming in, in December. And that actually covers first week of December. Callum Pritchett's question there. Update on Ross's driving, please. We think it's the first week of December, the theory test. Don't mention it to him, though. Well, he thinks it's the first week. <laughs> Whether that is the case or not, I don't know, because he's missed a handful of these. He's probably put, booked it over a game, which is another possibility. Who knows? The exactly. update is he's, he's forgot to turn up to his last two, I think. 
He booked the, um, I think we might discuss this, but the last one he booked in for November 7th and then the Rotherham game got rearranged, so he had to cancel it again. So maybe at some point in the next couple of years, yeah. I'm starting to think, boys, I'm just starting to think that maybe he doesn't want to pass his driving test. I mean, there was that, that tweet, wasn't there, from Kieran Newbury, who, the poor soul who drove him all the way back from Wales to Ipswich, who said <laughs> that Ross got into the car and said, this is why I don't learn how to drive, because I don't, then I don't have to which I think is probably a telling contribution there from Kieran. Anyway, Ross isn't here, so we don't have a mailbag song. That was the, that was the main way I was, I, was, uh, I was talking about Ross. So, AJ, in time on a tradition, I'll ask you, do you want to start with football? We had a, quite a lot of football questions this week, disappointingly, or, or no, 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 non-football? Um, if we've got quite a lot of football questions, let's tackle some of those. Then. Of course you want in. a football question. Of course yes, because it's all I do. All I do is sit here and think, <laughs> you know who I really want to watch today? The Philippines. So, yeah. Friends, go you got it. paid for watching the Philippines play football yesterday. What's a life? life. I know. Right then, this is football, but it's, um, it's kind of not football. FPL Tractor says, it's November. What's the greatest Itchwich Town Tash ever? Zondervan? Walk? Kevin Wilson, Tyson, any modern contenders? Now then, I saw this question come in yesterday and I instantly Googled Ipswich Town moustache and the first thing that comes up with Ipswich Town link is John Walk's Wikipedia page. And I think that's right. I don't think there has been a better moustache in the annals of Ipswich Town history than John Walk. He is the iconic moustache, isn't he? Yeah, certainly the most iconic. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about best without seeing a montage of all the various ones, but you've, yeah, you've if you thrown say me in a bit here. It's which town tash, it's walkie, isn't it? Have there have there been any I can't think of a player Mod- modern the only one I could throw in modern would be when Paul Anderson did an did an excellent uh, yeah. Movember and then dyed it blue. Uh, yeah. Um Okay, the one I can raise you, having looked on Wikipedia. Here we go. Not on Wikipedia, but on Google, rather. Pinterest, have it down. David Johnson, 1975. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that was a period where everyone had a moustache, wasn't it? Yeah. The I, think, I think for it truly to be great, it has I to think, be... I think the beat had a tash, didn't it? Well, he still, yeah. still had the tash, didn't he, even in, in his later days. Um, mm. But yeah, they were, that was very much of its time. But Have you but... ever, have you ever, either of you ever been tempted to go a stash? I mean, Alex, you've got the kind of musketeer, so if you just... Dog tan. Your, man, your, man, your manscape bit just to trim off the beard there, you'd have that stash. Have you ever been tempted? Well, just to get rid of this, no. Yeah. Not. <laughs> no. Stewie, men in your follicular situation often grow facial hair. <laughs> Um, have you ever been tempted to go with the stash? No. No. Okay, good. Good chat. Shall I tell you what I think you? about November? <laughs> <laughs> I better not. <clears throat> anyway. You, I know. you think it's a lazy way to raise money, don't you? It is. It is a lazy way to raise money. Now, oh, you, you, you've thrown me into a difficult situation here, Stu, because you've exposed me. I, I have. need to explain <laughs> now. So, obviously, anyone who raises money for charity, anything, fantastic. Especially cancer. Clearly, that's a great, a great thing to raise money for. I've lost people with cancer. My mum currently has cancer. So anyone raising money for cancer, fantastic. But if I want to give someone money for a charity event, I want them to be going above and beyond. Not with Movember, it's actually making less effort than you would normally. I mean, at least even if people ask you for money because they're giving up booze for a month, at least that involves willpower. But Movember, you're making less effort 
than you would do normally. You're just not shaving. So that's my issue with it, friends. I can see that both of you looking at me now like I've gone mad. I'm not joining in this one. <laughs> no, I'm going <laughs> to stay out of this. So, yeah, there we go. That's my, that's my thoughts just, in November. just shoved you in front of that big Haven't old you? bus. Haven't and, you, uh, Thanks for doing that. <laughs> and then, style into and then the just, left, just left yep. staring at me while I'm forced to <laughs> explain my thinking. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for I can you. see your logic. Yes. Uh, right then. Let's do another football one, shall we? <clears throat> Let's do a serious football one. Fred Nixon says, Stewie, if Town at the end of the season are in the playoffs and lose, is it considered a failure considering the form position they're in at the moment? That's part one. No. Part, no. Okay. Part two, what are the biggest changes you've noticed off the field at the club since the takeover? You're probably best place to answer that. Do you agree with that? No, the two of you, before we move on to the second part? So they're currently second in the table, 16 games. They end up in the playoffs and they lose. Is it a failure? Not if what if Leeds no. or Southampton or someone go on a on a ridiculous run and on two of the three teams that have just come down from the Prem, Pip Ip switch to to top two. That can't be. I would say I'm, I'm minded. And... I'm minded to agree with you, Stu. Yeah, I don't. I, think I don't think it would be. I wouldn't even say a failure, but it would be incredibly disappointing if by some I don't want to say disaster or anything like that but if they missed out on the top six something like that that would be pretty heavy to take i think given the position that they're in i don't think anyone's sat here taking top two for granted at all um and I, the playoffs could be anything you could come up against a team that's currently in the table and they could be an incredible form teams dip and rise all the time so with that absolutely not and i think if anyone had said at the start of the season if you said town are going to get into the playoffs and they're going to lose in the semi-final or get a trip to Wembley and lose in the final, as horrible as that would probably be, I think we'd all snap your arm off for it. Yeah, it would be heartbreaking, but it wouldn't be a failure. I think missing top Mm. six could be deemed a failure from here, given the points Mm. tally. We're talking about what we're saying, one even to hit that 90-point marker. Alex did an excellent piece um, over the weekend and looking at sort of the points tallies needed to hit the sort of... the. Mm. The averages that normally get you into top two, top six, was it 1.7 points per game to, to get to that 90-point marker that normally gets you second? May not be yeah, enough this about year. one and a half. So, essentially, they just need to try and lose as few games as possible. If they win and draw most of them, if they win, I think, around about half their games that they've got left, then they and that's for to, And that's for top up. two. So, to, I mean, I think 75 normally gets you into top six, doesn't it? So, to have 39 points on the board already, um, yeah, to, to fade out of the top six completely would uh, would certainly, I think, would, would maybe constitute a failure from, from the platform that they've provided themselves, but certainly not not the scenario that's been outlined there. It's also a strange season in the sense that the chasing pack are as good as they are and they're recently relegated Premier League sides. And again, I, I don't really want to segue and force Mark into another question I've already seen. But if you compare it to other seasons, where would Town, you know, be in that situation? If you compare it to the last couple of seasons with the teams who went up, would there be a bigger margin? Would you look at the chasing pack and say they're not quite as strong? This is a very unique season, I think. What was the second part of that question? Just going to come back to that. What are the biggest changes you've noticed off the field at the club since the takeover? Uh, are you talking physical things that we've seen in terms of, I mean, obviously everything around the stadium would, would be mm. the most obvious thing sort of visually. 
that we've seen. Um, I mean, just a big thing. It's such a small thing, but it was such a big deal. But that was the getting all the artwork up along the back of mm. the the cobbled stand, you know, just getting rid of that, all that peeling sort of PVC plastic covering over over those windows just high up above there and replacing it with the artwork was such a small thing, but that felt to me like a really symbolic changing of the guard, bit of, you know, an ownership that we're going to come in and, and give the club a bit of TLC. So that was all the stuff around the ground obviously has been the, the biggest change, but just structurally as well, you I might remember sort of Paul Lambert going out talking in riddles about struck the structures all wrong, but wouldn't describe what I think he's probably talking about just the number of staff in key positions. Now there is people headed up specialists heading up individual departments rather than one person trying to spin several plates. Um, and and these people are, are visible and, and communicating and, and stuff like that. So it's it's the number of staff that have probably been appointed has, has been the biggest sort of structural change, I'd say. Think back to Lambo, Stu. He said that about structure. He said when this thing turns, it'll turn. Yeah, kind of had the he was on the right line, wasn't he? You could argue that a few of the ex managers were on the right lines in terms of things that needed to happen, but there we go. We've ended up here, which is good. Right then, this next question I enjoyed on last week's pod. There was a question about win-lose draw over the, the Christmas games, which I 100%, as I was lifting weights in, in the gym, uh, in my head, I answered the question. I agreed exactly with you boys. This is a different variation from Chris Bennett. Three wins against Borough, Leeds and Leicester, but a 5-0 loss to Norwich. Or three losses to Borough, Leeds and Leicester and a 5-0 win against Norwich. He says, which are you taking? It's the former for me. So that's the, the three wins, but a 5 0 loss to Norwich. Points on the board is what matters at the moment. I'm saying, boys, I'll kick off here. I'm saying that I'm saying the latter. Ooh. I'm saying I, I, I want town to beat Norwich so badly. I can I can I can taste it when I close my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I want, I want that, I want, I want that Derby Day win so what, bad. Was it, was it taste of out of taste interest? Like, like sweet revenge, friend. Sweet revenge. Fourteen years of revenge, all stored up. Um, you know, I want it for it's us. Cold. I want it for us, Stu, because we've we've covered town. You've covered town for a large period of that fourteen years of without a win. Um, yeah. We've we've had to be in offices. I've had to work with people at the Eastern Daily Press. Um, who, uh, shall we say, enjoyed the, uh, the the winning streak that Norwich were on. I had to bite my tongue um, in, in meetings and things like that. I want that win. Town are in a situation now where if they do lose three games, they've still got, you know, they've got a bit of a cushion, but a 5-0 win against Norwich. Party time, baby. I want that. I want that so badly. I want that for us. I want it for the fans. I want it for the entire bloody community. That's what I'm saying. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> Here he is, the voice of reason. I think, voice find, of reason. I think you'll find, Mark, that points per game is more important at this time. It is, it is yeah. Um, yeah, I think that you don't want to blow what you've worked so hard for so far this season. And given, again, I talk about it a lot, the strength of the chasing pack, given the fact that you could easily see Leeds, for example, marching on and having this. No, there was no pun intended with marching on, by the way. Um, having like a really good 
run where they win most games. If Town went and lost three, it blows everything wide open. It blows that cushion wide open. Um, this is now a point where they, if everything goes well, they don't necessarily need to match what the chasing pack do. They just need to maintain that cushion. You don't want to be in a situation where you get to December and think, oh, wow, if I want to now make sure that I'm in that top two conversation, I've got to look at what Leeds and Southampton are doing and I've got to try and match and better their results on a weekly basis. Given the position that Town have put themselves in, I you know, I know it might not be the popular answer, especially with you. But yeah, voice of reason, don't blow what you've worked for. I like it. So we, we, we've got we've got heart and head there, Stu. You're a man, mm. I would say, probably leans more towards the head. Um, what, what would yeah, you say? I, I do, but I have felt this Derby thing yes, come for on, quite Stu. some time now. And yeah, I'm really torn between the two here. Because oh, no. ultimately, are you trading six points? Are you trading six points for... For that, a five and I just I can already feel the narrative being spun from over the border of like, <clears throat> oh, they've beaten us already, and you know, like, really going like, I'd be hilarious if we still if they still couldn't beat us now, mm. sort of thing, and you know, trying to ramp it up into a win-win situation. So uh, ultimately, I think if you put a gun to my head, I'd, I'd be siding with with Alex and saying, look, come on, it's about the points, it's about the bigger picture here, but. I don't know. Hearing you talk about it and having felt some of these, um, come on, Stu, what have we been through? Been in the appointments where, where people have gone. Is, mm. that, is that seven wins in a row now? Was that the biggest win that they've had? That kind of thing. We've we've had that. Yeah, and um, and Ipswich fans have felt it as well. Even though it's it's a, it's a strange rivalry, isn't it? Because it's not like a one city rivalry where people are necessarily going into an office, and maybe there's not that same sort of day to day. Um, connection between Ipswich and, and Norwich fans. They don't necessarily live on each other's doorsteps as much, but mm. that almost intensifies it, doesn't it? Having that sort of 40 mile gap between the two. Um, cool. uh, that's, a, that's a really tough call. I'm really, really split good, on a, that one. It's but a really I, good question. And I, think it's I, I, think, I think if you put this out as a poll, I, I still think most people would take the points. Yeah. Maybe I don't I know though. I think I, yeah, I want it. Be interesting. It's so bad. I want that win so bad. <laughs> right then, uh, let's do a non-football question. Where are we? Christopher Day wants to know, Stewie, with the Caramac bar being withdrawn from UK shelves. What? what... <laughs> Is this breaking news? Wasn't aware what, of that. What three chocolate bars could you not live without? Apparently, Caramac might be one of yours. Caramac, Caramac. I have. Real nostalgia for that was a post swimming um vending machine treat. The Caramac, I don't think I've, I mean, it's one of these classic things. I can't believe they're getting rid of that. It's probably been 20 years since I've eaten one, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's sad news. I've, everyone has this this post swimming vending machine memory. I remember it wasn't Caramac with me, it's those little bags of mini cookies you could get. Do you remember those? That was my post swimming treat. So, um, but what three chocolate bars do you, could you not live without? Uh, what are your go-tos? Let me just um, digest that, think. that bad news first. Well, let's, go, uh, let's go to Alex. Was that, was that a food pun? <laughs> <laughs> Unintentional. Uh, sorry, that was quite, that was even worse than me to bring it up. Um, oh, okay. Interesting. Mine, I'm going to go, one well, thing is as well, I feel like I 
caramel bar is not my um, I'm jam. Shout to that with uh, yeah, it's not really anything that I. Basically, you're saying you're young again. You're reminding us you're young, is what yeah. you do. Alice is going to say didn't wasn't aware what a caramel bar is here. Yeah. Um, the the worst bit that comes with I mean, so unfortunately that whenever I talk about this kind of age thing, um, Mark sends a specific message into our <laughs> chat, which I don't think I'm allowed to repeat on the pod because with Ross off, I don't know if he's going to be able to come in and then bleep everything. But yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm Oscar. just gonna yeah yeah I'm just gonna. Um, for me, right, boring answer, get it out of the way. Dairy milk, you want chocolate and you want just chocolate, the best way to go. Um, from there, another potentially slightly boring answer, but reason I have for it, my girlfriend is, her favourite is Yorkies. Mm. And I always like the idea of just, every time I, I like, if I stop off in the petrol station, something like that, I'll just pick one up and then. You just buy her a Yorkie yeah. every time you're is in the garage? Not every while, well, <laughs> but you know, from time to time, you know, you have the ideas of coming with flowers or coming, yeah. coming with something like that. You just come in there, Yorkies. Um, do, every time you deliver said Yorkie, do you do you utter the phrase "It's not for girls"? Can't say that. Uh, you. I know it's you can't say that anymore, anymore, but it was the advertising campaign. Oh, hello! Um, I hear a knock at the door. Is that the fun police? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant! So that's Stu off the pod for being politically incorrect. Um, <laughs> I didn't say endorsed the message. <laughs> um, from there, oh, I have no idea. I'm going for this. I like flake. Flakes are flake. good fun, aren't they? Yeah, they are good fun. Um, Too shout messy. out to Toblerones for being in every airport. Team. Shout out to Toblerones. That's straight out. You've been. We spending haven't too got Ross here, Ross. so yeah. I haven't. I have to make up for the fact he's not here. AJ, you spent your youth in Holland, did you not? And I'm led to believe that um, the one of the chocolate greats, Tony Chocoloni, emerged from Holland. Mm-hmm. So are you familiar with that particular chocolate bar, range of no. chocolate bars? No. <laughs> um, no, not really. I. That's disappointing. You know what? Weirdly, I don't remember too much about chocolate bars in Holland, to be honest. But there's a very strong memory of certain Dutch foods, although I don't know if like many of those have been kind of rekindled from going back. Things like it's going to sound weird when I say this; it's going to sound English, but croquettes are a big thing over in Holland in terms of well, they have lots of different fillings. I was always told they had horse meat in them, and I was like, oh, delicious! That tastes lovely. Um, things like that. They have things like frikandels, which are Dutch-style sausages, all those kind of things. But in terms of chocolates, not as um, familiar. Also, um, sweet dessert-based things in Holland, pancakes, um, you know, mini pancake things. Oh yes, poffertjes, 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 brilliant, best that they do. Um, they do things like Oli Bolen, which are Christmas thing. It's like a massive ball of dough, which they cover in sugar. Um, they have all sorts. Brilliant dessert food. Holland ranks high, maybe just behind Belgium because you can't beat a Belgian waffle. Oh, we've gone really off track now. We've gone <laughs> Sorry. This is this is my speciality. <laughs> Belgian waffles. Stu, have you got any other chocolate bars uh, you want to throw into the mix? Double Decker. <clears throat> Massively double underrated double decker. Massively underrated. Yeah, that would be my that would be my go to. I'd probably throw Kit Kat Chunky in there. Yep, okay. and maybe a, a Ripple, a Galaxy Ripple. Ooh. I would say I'm a big fan of anything with nuts in. Um, I know Sue, you can't you can't have anything with nuts in, but uh, Snickers, the classic, that's probably my go to in, in your average garage 
forecourt, or if I can find it, a Reese's and Outrageous. Absolutely addicted to Reese's. Like, seriously, I've got a problem. Put the Reese's away from me. Addicted to Reese's uh, in all forms. Anything peanut buttery and chocolate, that's probably how I'm going to meet my death. <clears throat> that's what I'm saying. Um, right then. Question for Alex, especially for Alex. And I've lost it. What's going on? My phone's gone mad. I already know this is sent in by one of my mates. Weirdly. Oh, it's one of your mates, is it? Yeah, it just, that's why it's targeted specifically at me. Uh, okay. Amulo yeah. yeah. wants to know, question for Alex, if you could go back to any period of football, what would it be? Now, before I let you loose on this question, Alex, a reminder that we've already been running for 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, I do want to get more questions in before the hour mark. Um, so if you could keep it fairly succinct, that'd be great. But which period would you go to? Uh, I'm going to piss you off by going for something fairly recent. I'm going to go to the 2010 World Cup because I lived oh. in Holland at that point. And yeah. if you remember, Holland reached the final of the 2010 World Cup. And I remember pretty much the entire country being orange. I remember seeing dogs being walked outside, spray painted orange. Um, and I remember them losing. So I'd go Wasn't that for... the final where the Holland basically just kicked everyone up in the air? Yeah, that's the one. You have the De Jong chest kick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, things like that. Um, that's the Dutch way. I mean, that's that's just the way to go about it. Not too much has changed. When they actually try and play football, especially now, it just doesn't really work. You need someone back so I'll just kick the living crap out of them. That's a change, isn't it? Because when I think of Dutch football when I was growing up, that was seriously sexy football. You know, your Van Basten, yeah. your Rude Hullets, your Cruyff Turns, all that kind of stuff. Sexy, sexy football. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Stu, if you could go back to your period of time of football, what would it be? I think it would be quite fun to go back to like the very, very early stages of, of football just to ah, see the formation. <laughs> yeah, just to see the sort of the weird inverted Christmas tree formations. You and... watched that Netflix series, didn't you? The English game about the, 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 uh, the origins of football. Do you watch that? Yeah, I think did I put that on to you guys? You, that was the, you, the, the the Scottish guys that sort of came down and the the first sort of when it just yeah. they started sort of uh yeah, it was the kind of the the working class uh team factory teams and they started yeah, yeah sort of uh, started paying a few people on the side and stuff like that. That was good that. Absolutely. That's a good call actually, Stu. Go back to early days of football, Charles Charlie Charles on the wing and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um punting a ball that weighs 14, 14 stone. Wearing, uh, what do you call it? Phone phone books for shin pads, that kind still, of thing. Still cap boots and stuff. Like exactly. That, probably, yeah. Excellent. Good question, Amulo. Uh, where should we go now? Let's do. This is a good question, Alex Herbert. And it's, again, this might be a question for for me and Stu, Alex. I don't know Brilliant. what you have to say about this, but Alex Herbert says the Kings can add four players from previous town eras to the current squad. Taking one player from each era, but each in a different position. You've got to add a goalkeeper, defender, midfielder, and striker. <clears throat> the eras, Stu. 78-81 Robson. 99-2000 Burley. 04-05 Royal. And 14-15 Mick. I really like this question. This might be my favourite mm. question on today's show. First thing I'd say is fourteen fifteen has done well to get into yeah, uh, into that mix. into uh, inverted commas era. Um, yeah. the, the title winners of of sixty one have have, uh, have been done a disservice, Coolly but yeah. we we did we'd have done well to really pick sort of players out from from eras going that far back. So we'll we'll take the question as it is. 
my issue has been the 14-15 season here because I'll tell you why, right? I'll show you my work here. And I, I wanted to pick people that have played, at, that have gone on or have played in the sort of top flight, you know. Mm. Um, straight away, I wanted Kevin Beatty from Got the, from the, the 70s, Beattie. 80s, right? Because I think not only is he voted the greatest player in the club's history, he got his statue, dear old Beat, rest in peace. We, we love him. Um but I think he ticks all the, the Kieran McKenna boxes of being this kind of young, athletic, dynamic, um, left-footed as well. I think he'd slot in nicely, probably take that sort of Cameron Burgess role, be able to, one of these that would, you know, in the modern game that would be able to bring it out from the back and, and do all, all of that good sort of stuff as well. So I kind of put him straight into the team. Then I started thinking about needing a goalkeeper. And I looked at, so I've then got Richard Wright, Kelvin Davis or Bart. Mm-hmm. As the next three, well, <clears throat> Richard Wright played for England, went on to have a, and I, I know he ended up being sort of associated with being this sort of bench warmer, but he was a, a top goalkeeper. And if you're taking him from that 99 2000 side, he'd, he'd been young again, he'd have been someone that Ipswich would have thought they could develop and uh, could turn a, turn a profit on or develop. So, I kind of th- thought about him sort of being the goalkeeper, the Joe Royal team. You've got to take someone from the attack. That was a kind of will score more than you era. And uh, I've got Benty sort of mm-hmm. down there. Um, again, someone who went on to have an, an incredible Premier League and, and international career. I think he'd have that. I think he'd have some George Hurst qualities, sort of running in behind and scoring goals. And then that led me on to 14 15. And the only position I've got left is midfield. And that was probably the weakest area of that mix side. You're looking at people like Scoos and Hyam and Teddy Bishop. I'm not sure a sort of his dribbling style would necessarily fit into this Kieran McKenna team. Uh, really who I wanted to take from that was kind of a either prime Daryl Murphy, 27 goals that season, or, or David McGoldrick as well. Such a joy to watch in his pomp. So I'm still trying to do a little bit of jiggery pokery here. There's there's a few other options. I mean, John John Walk, if you wanted to go back and his goal record from midfield would be insane and mm. you could stick him in the Massimo Luongo role. But yeah, uh, I'm still trying to shuffle things around to make to make it work. That's a great question. It's Have a you really got any, any others you want to throw in the in the mix? Well, I did I mean originally I thought from 7881, I thought Mick Mills. Um, because obviously England captain proper hard man as well but then you can't overlook beat you can you i mean beat is uh, by consensus the greatest player town i've ever had and i think of the the players of that era if you took kevin beat in and put him into modern football he would still be an absolute monster he was a physical mm. freak of nature athletic to the core and i think he could pretty much if you put him in modern football now with modern nutrition modern training and kind of modern approaches he would be near on unstoppable i think with his, his kind of physical makeup um mills would be an interesting one because he ticks the versatility box that yeah. mckenna likes as well could play right back left back like you say he's an england captain who went to a mm. thing there's so many options there you paul marin is an option as well england striker as well but um and then the only other one i had was was mark the obvious one marcus stewart um from the that uh the promotion team of the, the turn of the century but then as you say if you then if you then kind of leave yourself needing to fill, I guess you'd have Bart, 
in goal he, from the 14-15 side. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously that the strongest player of that era, um, mm. Bart. So if you were doing it on on that basis, you could you could go with him and, and juggle things around a little bit. Um, Jim Magilton, you could take as as your midfielder. I think he'd be someone that would fit into into this current team quite well. He's someone who wants and demands the ball all the time that could that could pop up with a goal now and again. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. That if you start to sit down and actually you think, oh, that's really easy, and then but you you pick someone and then there's a knock on effect elsewhere. I like that. It's a good question. It's a really good question. Right then, let's give Alex a question because he looks bored. Um, oh. <laughs> right then, this is a good one for you, Alex. Robert Enderby says, from the teams we've played so far this season, which defender, midfielder, and striker would be a realistic consideration for us in January? Um, you, strike, okay. you strike me as someone who, like Ashton, might have his own little data dashboard somewhere. Little notes oh, yeah. scribble down on paper somewhere. Well, I did the um kind of the best players that town have played so far. I had a look at that and the best players mm. in the championship, all that kind of thing. Um, if you're looking at realistic signings, I think it becomes quite tricky because obviously you have like the Leeds game, you can't go and pick half their squad. Um striker, I'm immediately drawn to Sinclair Armstrong at QPR. I think he was fantastic. I like the fact that he was just this kind of really explosive, hungry young forward. I think that he's different to what Town have. Um, That's what I thought really... when I saw this question. And I went back mm. and checked his stats. He's only scored one goal this season. Are we basing this off what we've seen from him against Town or across the... Uh, well, I don't know. However you want Either to do way, it, that, was, that was my he's, first thought. Yeah, he's a, very, he's a young... Um, He's a young player. He's going to have that potential. He's youth international. I think he's had an injury as well, so that's always going to play a part in terms of that. Um, okay, so we'll go with that. Midfielder, I had a little bit of a... Oh, I have an idea, but it's a it's a cheat in a way because he's a, a midfielder come striker. He's almost like a second striker who plays... Um, he has played up front a little bit, but I'm going to cheat anyway because he has also played as a 10. Uh, midfielder, I'm going to go Jay Stansfield from Birmingham City. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's probably a push for Town to go down that route. I think there are maybe, I wouldn't necessarily say similarities to Connor Chaplin, but the way that he likes to sometimes play off the striker, um, I think he's going to love playing under Wayne Rooney this season, though, and, and that's going to be really hard to kind of shake him away from that project defender for me i'm going to go harry darling at swansea um he's a localish lad he's cambridge so i know i know a lot about him i've spoken to him a few times um a really good ball playing center back who's worked quite well in a russell martin side well two russell martin sides because he was at milton Keynes before um just so calm on the ball not really overly physical quite young still um, I think high floor, high ceiling in terms of his development as well. Those would be the three for me. Kind of cheating with the Jay Stansfield one. Okay, excellent. All right, I've just had a reminder, Stu, that we've got to be in a meeting in 15 minutes. So we need okay. to expedite this. I'm going to do three more questions. I'll doing... just, just say Jay Stansfield, absolutely. I would be the top of that list that I would I would say in backing up. He's obviously on, on loan from Fulham. I think that'd be one that you would have to try and persuade Fulham to sell. Uh, he's 20 years old, ticks a lot of the boxes. Kieran McKenna name-checked him after the game, which is I always think is quite interesting when he when he name-checks an opposition player. Um, 
yeah, he's he's under a long term contract, so you know, take a little bit of money to try and get Fulham Fulham to sell. But that, he might be one. I mean, Jamal Lowe is another one that got name checked the other week. He's another one who's on on loan at Swansea from Bournemouth. It was quite a handful for Swansea, but he's, he's twenty nine years of age. But he's out of contract next summer, so he wouldn't he wouldn't break the bank. But he's not probably in the age range that Ipswich are looking at. Okay, let's do three more questions if we can uh, at speed. Nigel G, friend of the show, the man with the fish. Wants to know what sport would the Kings have most wanted to cover as journalists if not covering football? Mark has to choose something other than boxing or a punchy slash kicky sport. Uh, I originally, when I want, when I got into journalism, my plan was to um, do the usual shift on news, get all my my qualifications, and then go to America and cover the NBA. That was my initial plan. Um, obviously, <laughs> got way laid a bit. And uh, and and now I'm head of football, covering Ipswich Town, um, which wasn't initially the plan when I started, but it would have been the NBA, Nigel. That was my kind of first love in terms of journalistically covering a sport, and that's how I got into journalism by writing basketball reports. Um, AJ, you're going to say football, I'd imagine, even if football's not an, not an option. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> um, I'd go for something punchy, kicky, something MMA based, because no, while I don't really have the strongest of base knowledge about it i have a strong interest and i've watched a fair bit of it ah. still um weirdly like um ross back in the day i used to be quite big on my wwe and that then transitioned obviously as you kind of get older towards things like ufc mma and boxing to an extent so while i haven't really been able to maintain that that'd be nice not a sport let me go and cover crafts or something that'd be great <laughs> That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Let me go and cover the dogs. I just I just got reminded because I had Benson in the background, something like that. That would be amazing. It's a sport actually. to me, it. god damn it. Absolutely. I mean it's more of a, it's more of a sport than darts, let's be honest. Uh anyway, Stu, what would you cover? Golf. Of course. You love your I golf. thought I was gonna say darts for a minute. <laughs> yeah, that would have been Hutchie's answer back in the day. Uh <laughs> right then, three more questions. Where's the one I wanted to do particularly? It was about I'm a slayer. Here we go. Ezekiel 20, 25 17 wants to know who would do best out of all the kings if they were put in I'm a celeb. Obviously, that's just started, doesn't it? I believe. Um, and have to do a food challenge. And who do you think from the town squad would shine? Um, how how would you fancy going on I'm a celeb stew and eating a, a badger's testicle? I don't think they have badgers in Australia, do they? Um well, you know, it's just a generic throwaway yeah. comment, wasn't it? Uh, I think Ross would be superb on I'm a celebrity. I think he would be <laughs> he would be in the nation's hearts. Uh, I think they would they would love some of his his inadvertent comedy, some of the things he might come out with along the way. I think he'd be great value in the trials. And do you I know what see, Ross would do I though in the food trial? Sat there he, as a winner. In a food trial, Ross would have to eat like a kangaroo's penis or something. And he'd take a bite and he'd go, I actually really like this. And then he'd start having it in sandwiches and stuff going forward, you know, like he does with prawns and oranges and things he's never had before. It'd be like a revelation for Ross. I could um, see him being like, do you remember Dean Gaffney back in the day from EastEnders? Who was, yeah. was on it. He was, uh, I think he had quite a strong gag reflex. And um, <laughs> he, was a bit, he was a bit of a character on, on I'm a Celebrity from what I can remember. I could see Ross being that, that guy. Excellent. I think that's a great shout. How about from the town squad boys? Who do you reckon would be good on there? Um, I'm interestingly going to go Nathan Broadhead because I just think he's going to be this kind of... Well, whenever you speak to him, he comes across as quite a... Um, shy. Innocent, quiet, yeah. shy person. I just think he'd just be the one who'd just go along with everything. Like, oh, yeah, we want to put um, Nathan Broadhead up for this challenge. Like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. 
Uh, and I just think that he'd end up just going through and doing everything. Um, at the same time, a bit of fire, fire in his belly. He can be a passionate uh, guy, but I think he, he'd tick a, a lot of the boxes in an almost anti-Ross way. Can we get Ross on somehow? Because I think you're right, Stu. He would win it. Like He would absolutely win it. He'd, he, he would be the nation's darling. Um, mm. And I think it'd be like a personal journey as well for him, wouldn't it, along the way? which it tick all the boxes anyway. Right, I, I was going to ask one more question, but I think that's a good good place to finish because we still have to talk about West Brom. And we've just took the uh, the hour mark. Ipswich Town, friends, if you've not forgotten, after this boring, pointless international break, um, return to stuff that actually matters this weekend at West Brom, live on Sky, one of uh, about 17 games they've got on TV before uh, Boxing Day. Uh, how are we feeling about it, boys? Because on paper, West Brom, seventh in the table, won three of the last four. Kind of flying under the radar a little bit. No one was really talking about them before the season. Um, but it, it looks like this might be a bit of a challenge. Maybe their biggest challenge in, in recent times. Yeah, I think it's, um, it is a tricky one. It's a little bit of a... I think it starts the real tough run where you look at the games and you think, probably in this last run, you go through and think, I can see them probably winning this one. I can see them winning this one. And obviously that will carry on into this, but this is really where you're you're starting to see some of the big boys coming in and West Brom with their defensive record particularly um, conceded seven goals at home. They've only lost once. The Hawthorns is a really, really tough place to go. Um, I think it is really hard. Um, they've got a manager who is a really good coach, similar in a way to McKenna in the way that he's so organized, so methodical, um, and he's just created a very solid side. And I think potentially that has limited them going forwards, which is a shame considering that they have a lot of strong attacking players. And you look at Jed Wallace and Brandon Thomas Sante, but if they can start to find that balance and they did before the break, two against QPR, two against Coventry, three against Hull, obviously they lost against Southampton, but that's no huge disgrace. Um, once they start to find that balance, they're going to be a real threat. So interesting to see if that has happened during the international break. Mm. Sue, any any feelings on this game? You, Alex there mentioned kind of maybe similarities between McKenna and Corbyn. I was reading a bit about Corbyn and his approach to, to football. And we always talk about Towns' kind of total squad approach and the, the importance of substitutions. So the, the quotes out there from Corbyn saying that he, he places almost as much importance on the players he has to bring on from kind of 50, 60 minutes as he does on, on who starts mm. the game. Yeah, I think this is um this is a this is a difficult game for Ipswich I talked about sort of um points on the road sort of adding to this this points tally. Ipswich have got themselves in a in a nice position points wise and and draws away from home, especially in this type of fixture, are not to not to be sniffed at. You've you've kind of spelt out what West Brom have done so far this season. They've got a player in Grady Diangana, who's obviously gone for big money in the past, who I think has just come back from injury and starting to shine for them on the wing as well. Um, yeah, it's uh, Ipswich have done well to go to places like Southampton and Sunderland and and win, but it's not it's not going to keep happening forever. I hope I hope that is the case, but the reality is it it probably won't. Um, be interesting to see how they look after the break. Obviously, last time they came back from that prolonged break, went to was it the Bristol game off the back of that mm. and looked to maybe took them a little little uh, little while to really sort of get going and maybe a few games to really sort of get back to to their best so i hope this um this break hasn't sort of disrupted the momentum too much but um 
tough game. Um, I think a draw would, would be a decent result. Mm. I guess in, in terms of international as well, we, as much as it's nice to have players playing internationally, it's also nice for them to come back without injury, isn't it? Um, and which is, which has happened this time, which is a which is a bonus. Um, AJ, shall we shall we kick off with predictions? You're top of the table, so uh, <laughs> you get the uh, the honour of going first. So you can't. Uh, we've I noticed by the way on the pod while I was away, there's definitely a bit of spice getting added now, isn't there? Rossi he, and you were going back and forth about copying. He's each been other's doing predictions. this. Yeah, I've had yeah. people raise this to me, saying that he's <laughs> been going through, and I'll make a prediction, and he'll go, oh, "I've also done that." Um, I'm going to go. Hopefully, stealing a few people's predictions, making them think twice. I'm going to go with a one-one draw. I think it'll be a really, really um, good result for Town if they can go get that first goal scorer. Hopefully, fresh after coming back from his injury, maybe a bit of a left field or a right wing pick. Uh, I'm going to go Wes Burns. Okay, nice, Stewie. You said there a draw would be a good result. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, yeah. What are you saying though? I did have one one in mind, but I've I've got some ground to make up, so I feel like I need to I need to be tactical here. Um, hmm. I'll I'll change it to a two two then. Why not? Two two first scorer. First scorer. Oh, I like that Wes Burns pick. That's that's not a bad shout. Uh, I'm gonna say I'll go with George Hurst. George Hurst. So we got one one. We got two two. I think it's probably going to be a draw, but I ain't going to say 3-3. And I'm not going to say nil-nil either. So I'm now left in a situation whereby do I go for a win or do I go for a defeat? Which is more likely? Town don't lose games. So I'm going to say win. I'm going to say win, friends. I'm going to go the time-honoured tradition. I'm going to go 1-0 for Town. Uh, And I'm going to say Connor Chaplin to score. Um. So I've shown my working out there. I really think draw, but for the purpose of the game, I'm going to go win. Um, so we've got 1-0 from me, Connor Chaplin, 2-2 from Stu with George Hurst, and 1-1 from the leader in the clubhouse, Alex Jones and Wes Burns. And no doubt Ross will say 1-1 Wes Burns when he listens back to this. <laughs> right then, friends, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Me and Stu have got to be in a meeting in four minutes, so we better wrap this up. Have you got any other business? No other business. Um, last point. Interesting to see who gets right. Taylor time, baby. I didn't hear any of that. I don't know if that was just me. Did you hear that? Oh, too? no, no. Have we got a, has my internet gone? I down? think your Wi Fi's gone. What did you say? You're looking forward to what? Just, oh, he's gone again. Said, um, <laughs> well, I'm interested to, interested to see. I don't know if it's going to work. Um, which internationals get rested. There we go. We got there in the end. That was a nice bit of, uh, of a cliffhanger on which to end the show. If we could if we could hear AJ's final thought. Friends, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed today's Mailbag Show. It's which town are back, of course, in action this weekend. The boys will all be there for it all with us if you can't get to the game. Uh, Reminded to support our sponsors. Use the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20% off free delivery uh, on all their excellent clobber, including a new bit of kit, boys, which we've got winging its way to us, the, uh, the Lawnmower 5.0, which is uh, their latest intimate trimmer um which uh, we each 
have a uh, a, a, cop- a copy. That's not the right word. We each have one of them to test out. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to testing that out and bringing you the news, friends, as to the performance of it. And also, of course, the other sponsor, Ginger Pickle. Um, if you like your pickle ginger, Google Ginger Pickle. They'll help you out with the SEO, your Google ads, your digital advertising, all that kind of stuff. Um, Tony Southgate and his ever-growing team at Ginger Pickle are the folks to help you there. We are back next week. I hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll speak to you next time. <laughs>